thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is That Paleo Show with your hosts, Stephanie Wozalik, Dr. Yana James, and Dr. Brett Hill. Welcome to That Paleo Show, making the paleo lifestyle easy and accessible for everyone. I'm Stephanie Wozlick. I'm Dr. Yana James. And I'm Dr. Brett Hill. I'm extremely excited for our interview today because over the past year, for the first time in my life really, I've taken up gardening and growing my own vegetables. And uh, since I don't really know what that much about gardening, I've basically just been using Google and calling my mom and going with trial and error and hoping things grow. And it's been working pretty well so far. But today we've got an expert on the line to help us all with some really cool information about what you can do to maximize your own backyards, no matter how small, and start growing your own food. So we're talking to Mike, who's also known as the Suburban Farmer, who runs a really innovative business in Perth, Australia. Mike and his team at Suburban Farmer will come to your house and set up your veggie patch, but they can also set up chicken coops or even a fish pond so you can have fresh eggs and seafood literally right at your back door. So I've got so many questions for you, Mike, so let's get right into it. Welcome to the show. Great. Thanks for having me. (laughs) So, Mike, how on earth did you get started with all of this? Um, Well, it's always been me, I guess. Um, uh, It's it's how I grew up. Uh, I have some Eastern European uh, grandparents and uh, when they, like a lot of uh, people after the, the, the Second World War emigrated to Australia, um, they didn't have anything. Um, what they grew was what they ate, what they didn't go. Uh, it wasn't possible to just go down to the hardware store to buy anything. Anything they used uh, was was available to them was was at their house and um, so growing up in that environment um i got to see some uh very traditional ways of of uh of growing food how to make sure it's successful um like i said they depended on their backyard um and uh and and then i guess obviously living in a modern society picking up new ways of doing things uh, like you mentioned the fish farms is one new way even though the concept itself is you know thousands of years old bringing um the concept into a backyard is is quite new and uh, innovative um so yeah i, I guess myself uh, I, i've just grown up in the uh, doing these sort of things, but uh, these days having the luxury of the net, seeing new ways of doing things, I guess I've put it all together um, to give people a, a good cross-section of older traditional ways of doing things and, and some of the latest modern ways of, of growing food too. Yeah, and I think that's what I wanted to ask you about, Mike, because obviously I've had a look at your website and it's just really exciting. Like I was just looking at it going, that looks amazing. And what's really cool, I think, is you've been able to take those sort of traditional farming practices and those traditional sort of backyard gardens, but, but really modernise it into a, into a way that works in like modern cities with you know, minimal space and, you know, and, and other requirements for what you want to do with the garden. Like I think you know, a lot of people now don't want to have their whole backyard as a veggie patch like perhaps some of the uh, you know, perhaps your Eastern European grandparents may have done. I know certainly my grandpa did. Um, but the way you've been able to maximise the space and create this really modern feel to it um, and yet still be producing so much different stuff is, is just amazing. That's right. Um, you don't have to be too clever to have 
food always available. Um, just to give you one real quick example, and you don't need a lot of room either, um, one real quick example is, um, for example, some spring onions. We've got a patch of spring onions at our place which would be about a metre wide by about, say, two, three metres long, um, which isn't a big area. And we eat spring onions every night. Um, rain, hail or shine, they're in everything. They're in pastas, they're in stews or soups. Um, they make their way under pizzas, they're in meatballs, literally that, that's what we use mainly for onions and we just clip off the, the top green part, we leave the plant intact, we work up and down the road, um, we've always got spring onions, that patch would have been there for three and a half years so we haven't had to buy an, uh, a spring onion or really onions for three and a half years so that's a really simple way of um, guaranteeing with a really small area consistent supply without really doing anything um, uh, it's just the way we cultivate it is a little bit different people sometimes pull spring onions out um, you know we leave the plants intact and, and so we've always got produce uh, another way is you know we, we plant some basil in, in the in the right time of the year when it's nice and warm and it grows really well and I, I plant a lot of it uh, when it's in its prime I cut all of the plants down, I just leave one left. Um, and so, you know, if we need any basil at that time, we've got a plant that we can go to. But the other, all the ones that we've cut down, we blend them all up. Um, it's, it's a bit of trial and error, but with a little bit of water, you put them in some ice cube trays, uh, freeze them as blocks. Uh, when they're frozen, pop them out, put them in a uh, resealable plastic bag and put them in the freezer. Uh... At the end of that growing season, when, when the other plant has is finished, it's gone to seed and it's no good and I pull it out, we've got basil for the rest of the year, um, frozen in cubes. I mean, we don't eat that much, but um, it, it's enough to sustain us. So those plants that were in, say, February in, in Perth when it's nice and warm and in their prime are still supplying us basil now in, you know, September when it's almost the start of the new growing season. So a couple of little different have produce on hand without very much effort at all. Yeah, I had so much basil this year too, Mike, so that's a really good tip. I know I was, <laughs> thinking, I was making pesto, I was freezing it, I was freezing it whole, I was giving it, it to work. I was sending it into work, I was giving it away. I had so much. That's a wonderful tip. And, uh, Mike, I think... Yeah, it's... It, and Sorry, go on. Sorry, Mike. I think the point you made about the onions is a really good point too. Just that, like you're saying, you know, you've, you've planted them once and then you've actually had onions for three or spring onions for three and a half years. And I, I think that's a really good example of just how uh, how good an investment this can be, I guess. I mean, onions aren't terribly expensive, but like you add that up over three and a half years and then, you know, times that by all your different fruits and vegetables and potentially eggs. And, you know, it's not hard to see how this can actually be a model where, you know, it's a real investment, you know, uh, having a look at your website, it's not hugely expensive to set some of these things up. But, um, you know, obviously there's a bit of a startup cost there, but it's not hard at all to see how quickly it would pay for itself. Is that what you find? Like it, it pays itself off pretty quickly? Oh, yeah, totally. Um, you know, probably the chickens are a great example. There, There is a startup cost. Obviously, you need... All, all the uh, all the, the the equipment to ensure that the chicken's going to have it, have a happy and safe life and it's healthy. Um, so that's the coop and you know the straw and and all these you know the feeder and the feed and all those things. But once that's out of the way, um, you know you can you really only have to supply them with chicken feed and that's about it. They get lots of scraps um, and. Uh, 
which obviously reduces the amount of sort of bought feed they're having, although, you know, the, the bought feed is the best thing for them in the environment we have them in, as in they're in, in a contained area. If they're out in a field, they would, wouldn't need as much because they've got a much bigger variety of food. But in the ways that we keep them in the backyard, in a contained environment, you know, you give them the staple bit of feed, but plenty of treats is fine. Um, and that's really it. So what the chicken, so your input there is um, some, some chicken feed and you can get some certified organic. I've got that on my website and, and people are supplying it all over the place. Uh, certified organic. So you know that the, the ingredients which have gone into these pellets have the utmost integrity. Um, there's, there's no pesticides in, in any way, shape or form has been sprayed on these ingredients which have made their way into the pellet which is eaten by the chicken who lays an egg and you eat the egg. So um, you can get absolutely the most organic eggs possible and um, really uh, the output is an, is an egg um, pretty much every day from, from the breeds we use. Um, if you if you correlate that with caged eggs, you know the, the cost is about the same. But if you correlate that with uh, organic free-range eggs, which is really what you're getting, um, the difference there is, um, you know, I mean, the, the the difference in price between the two is so immense between growing your own and buying a free free-range organic egg. It's just, uh, uh, you know, obviously that you can do the math on that one, but. Also, as an output, you're getting um, fertiliser, which is really good. And I mean, I promote to my customers: don't see cleaning your chicken pen out as a bad thing. You should uh, you should go up to the the chicken pen with glee and think, great, look at this all this manure I've got. I can use that, um, and that's going to uh, help to me ensure the success of my crop, which is going to get into the kitchen um, the scraps of that is going to be returned back to the chickens so you know the the, the greens that you're giving them that you're not paying for you, you the, the chickens are in in fact initiating that growth process by um pooing basically um and uh, so it's very very easy you, you just got to set up a little bit of a a little bit of a cycle, a, a little bit of a plan. I guess probably the, the problem that I get with most of my customers is they just don't really have a plan. Um, but if we have a bit of a strategy and a plan to say, look, you know, the chickens, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to clean the pen. We're going to get their manure and we're, we're going to put it here and, you know, and we're going to have some sort of little rotation and the, the, when these crops are ready, this is what you're going to do with them. Um, they're going to go back to the chickens. You're going to eat them. You know, get a bit of a plan and a strategy to get together and it's all very, very easy. And the the fish farm side of it, the aquaponics is is even easier than that. Um, those systems just really look after themselves. They are just they sit in the corner of your backyard and they look after themselves totally. You just need to feed your fish, and that's pretty much about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really cool because um, we we always love the the cycling and the fertilizer and and just returning things back to where they were. And we talk a lot about soil depletion and stuff as well. So it's really cool that you can maintain all that in your own backyard. Um, but you know, that, that's right. I mean, so, sorry to interrupt, but that that's the that's the main thing. What what I try to say to my customers is that as as people we we set up the veggie gardens. We're always taking from from the garden, you know, you, you have your tomatoes, you take them, the, the, the plant dies, you take that away, you replace it. We're always taking, but we're never giving back. And if you look at nature as a whole, it does a really good job of looking after itself. And the key ingredient of that, of that is waste. So while we're all uh, 
you know, in, in modern society, especially we're all very hygienic. Everything we, any, any bit of waste, uh, we get rid of. But in nature, it, it doesn't survive without the waste. So you need to sort of embrace it and think that these things all go back into the gut. And that's, you know, if you're consistent with that, if you, you know, I guess if you have a moment of inspiration on a long weekend and get some good things for the garden, you put them in there and the plants really like it, but then your moment of inspiration passes and it's not another six months until you have another moment, then, you know, <laughs> your garden's not going to, it's not really going to, uh, sustain the type of growth you need to be pr productive to the level you need it to be. Um, so if you're just sustained a little bit of always giving back, so your tomato, it, it you know it, it produced as much as it kept could, and you pulled the plant out. Um, perhaps it, perhaps it even got a little disease at the end of its life and, and you thought, look, it's time to get rid of it. You, you do take it out, but if you replace that with a little bit of the ch fresh chicken poo from your, um, from your chicken coop, then uh, you've, you've put back um, and you don't have to worry so much about you know, crop rotations and, and, and leaving areas fallow when you know, on a, on a big scale that is important because you know, putting back things back into the earth in a big uh, situation in the broad acre farms and things like that, that's very costly. But in a, in a small backyard situation, it's not, not, a, not, a, not a great big thing to do. Um, and, and when you think about it, if you put a vegetable garden in, that's an investment you've made in, in time, money and resources, and you want this thing to be producing all the time. So it's not necessarily all that realistic to have or you know to spend a couple of hundred dollars on a vegetable garden and have it fallow for half of the year you, you don't want nor can you afford that you want it producing all year round so yes we are going to be pushing the soil to the absolute limits but it can it can easily handle that as long as you give it what it needs um and it's all very very simple stuff yeah, that's, that's so awesome. Um, as someone who is pushed for time, what would you say, well, I suppose I've got two questions because they're going to sort of be dependent on each other. Um, how much space would you need um, for a minimum number of chickens or what is the minimum number of chickens that they like to be in groups or can you have one on its own? And um, I guess the other question that relates to that is what's the minimum amount of time that you need to put in to be able to maintain your chicken coop slash veggie patch slash fish to continue to produce for you? Is it sort of like a, an hour a week? Is it several hours a week? Is it an hour a day? Um, yeah, easy ones. Um, the chicken pen, you, you basically, uh, you have two, sec two parts of the chicken pen, a sheltered section, which they use to sleep um, and lay an egg, and the outdoor section, which they use for 95% of the other time. Um, they don't really go in the sheltered section for anything other than to sleep or to lay an egg. Um, so, however, that's that's the the, the biggest uh, and the most costly part of the of the setup is is the is the shelter. So, um, when they sleep, they all pretty much huddle together. So it doesn't have to be too big. So that sheltered section um, is you know you could get away with. You know, if you had something of, of of a meter by a meter by a meter, so like a meter cube, um, that's going to be enough. 
to hold, you know, three to four chickens, which um, depending on most breeds, I mean, that's sort of three to four eggs per chicken per day. So you can you can do the math on that. That's four, eight, twelve. It's cartney every three days. So that's wow. pretty good going. Um, and you know, and but as far as the area for the run goes, it, it the, the general rule there is just give them as much area as you can afford to give them. So minimum would probably be maybe an, another two of those cubes, so a, a, a one metre by one metre and one metre by one metre, so all up for, say, three or four chooks, you're probably looking at three or four metres long by about a metre wide, and you can get away with that, but ideally you want to give them the best life possible because that's part of it. Obviously, yeah. they're giving you the eggs, but you want to you know, reciprocate and giving them the best life possible. Um, so as much as you can give them, so there's no real maximum, but the minimum, I guess, would be about sort of three metres. So it's not a very big area. You don't have to spend much on on cleaning them. I mean, all, all you need to do is basically collect your eggs every day uh, and make sure their water is, uh, renewed and topped up. That's a, that's a big thing. That's probably the biggest thing with the chooks. They, they use a lot of water for it to lay an egg, so you need to make sure the water's always fresh, even in the winter. Um, and uh, everything you do should be outside, so you, you you don't need to go necessarily go into the coop to collect your eggs. You can do that from outside. You can just get the hose and squirt more water in there. You can do that from outside. The feed, you know, you get a, a feeder, which is you top up, say, once a week, and uh, the, the, the area that they they mess um, is going to be where they sleep because that's where they're stationary and that's really the only part you need to clean. The, the, the outdoor running around section, you don't really need to necessarily clean that. Um, it's just going to be where they are stationary and that's where they sleep and that's where the poo collects. Um, so really cleaning that out, which is only really once a week, that's going to take you about 45 seconds, maybe a minute to change the feed. So really you're looking at probably 15 minutes a, a week to have wow. happy hens. It really isn't a big deal. You, you get the little bits of poo. They might have collected on a bit of newspaper. You put that in the garden. You put the newspaper in the bin and really it hasn't taken any time at all. Um, so really you don't need to spend that much time and veggie gardens are the same I mean really you, you, I mean I would spend in mine and I've got veggies throughout the front yard throughout the backyard I would spend about maybe and, and, and I've got a big garden probably half an hour to 45 minutes a week for a, a very 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 big garden um, a small one, you're probably looking at spending about 10, 15 minutes a week. Um, but the important rule is you've just got to do it week after week after week. It's, yeah. Like I said before, it's no point doing a real big job every six months. It's not what your garden's looking for. It's looking yeah. for some consistency. Um, and uh, you're really looking, and, and just sort of one real final fitness, Quick note, you're really just looking after the microbes in the soil. I couldn't go on yeah. about that enough. You need to make sure they need to be, they're, they're living things, they need shelter, they need food, they need air, they need water. You give them those things, um, then they're going to be happy and then they'll help you maintain your garden. So over time, you're actually doing less um, because there's, there's little, uh, little things which are doing a lot of the work for you. 
Yeah, that's fantastic. Look, you've given us so much information, and I have to say I'm pretty shocked at the the small amount of space and time that you need to invest. That's really awesome. Speaking of having happy chickens, um, I'm a pet owner. I have two cats. How much would that contribute to their stress and putting them off the lay, or is there ways that you can manage to having a, a house or like a menagerie of pets as well as having um, chickens and, and keeping them happy and, and laying? Mm. Um, cats don't really um, pose a problem at all. Domestic cats don't. If you have like a wild feral cat which is in the area, which sometimes happens. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> yeah, they, can, they can sometimes pose a bit of a problem, but generally speaking, the, the, the general laying birds are, are all fairly confident little things. So um, they, they don't really get spooked. They don't really... Uh, aren't really all that worried um, you know pretty much every person on earth has a cat living somewhere around them um, and there is chickens everywhere really this it's not a problem if they're little chicks then yes it's a problem but if they're laying bird age um, so 20 odd weeks old then not an issue at all Right. And uh, Mark, I wanted to ask you about the feed for the chickens because obviously being the paleo show, we like to talk a lot about biologically appropriate food for both humans and animals. Um, and it sounds like what you're talking yeah. about in terms of the feed for the chickens is is perhaps largely sort of grain-based feed. Um, I was really pleased to hear you mention sort of greens earlier because I think that'd be a really important thing. Uh, but also, I guess, chickens, you know, mm-hmm. like bugs and those sort of things is, is, you know, an important part of their diet. So how do you make sure they're getting sort of those nutrients they need? Uh, well, a lot of that is, is in the feed. Um, the feed's formulated specifically for backyard chooks, knowing that they're going to get greens and things like that. Um, but you're right, it is a grain-based feed. Uh, there's a whole range of other elements in there. And, and the feed that I do in particular is is top of the range. From a nutritional point of view, it's second to none. And the cherry on the cake is that it's certified organic. Um, but that's really got everything they need. And it's got their calciums. Um, it's got the, the, the appropriate you know mix between your protein, your carbs, all these things have gone into it. There's a lot of research which has gone into the, the base of the feed. Um, so really, technically, to survive and thrive and be healthy and have the energy to lay an egg, the feed, uh, that, that can be delivered through the feed these days. The, 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 like I said, a lot of science goes into the feed. So um, perhaps, you know, maybe 40, 50 years ago, with my experience anyway, the, the feeds there, you needed to add a lot to it. So you did need to add your calciums and there was a lot of things you needed to, to do. Um, but these days, really, you can you can rest assured if you've got a good quality feed, everything the chook needs is in that. On top of that, you can give them your grains, uh, so your... Um, your, your kitchen scraps and literally I mean they'll eat anything at all as long as it's fit for a human it's pretty much fit for a chook and they'll you know demolish uh, treats quicker than you could possibly mm-hmm. imagine they are really ravenous little things and and even I mean it surprises a lot of people um, you know a lot of people say what about if I get a mouse that comes into the chicken coop what am I going to do well you don't need to worry because you'd, you'd feel more worried about the mouse than you would anything else because if you can get a hold of it, it's, it's going to swallow it live and whole. So um, that, that's what they're that's what they're like. Um, so they're very ravenous. And the only thing, so the only note that I'd put on that is, I always say to my customers, you've got to keep a treat a treat so not too much because then 
they'll fill up on that and not of the feeder, which is what they primarily need. And second of all, if you go a little bit too overboard with, say, a lettuce, for argument's sake, or some silver beet or spinach, it's quite acidic and it, it can give them some a bit of a run. So just got to keep it, you know, in moderation. Keep a treat a treat, and um, you know they'll turn. You know you, that you might give them a, you might have some broccoli which is coming to the end, and you give them a whole broccoli leaf, and they'll eat most of it, and they'll leave part of the stem, but then they'll kick the stem around a little bit, they'll pull in a little bit, and then this stem is ripe for for breaking down and composting, so you can put it into a composter and it's going to start, a, it's, it's activated then, it's ready to break down, it's been rolled around into fresh chicken poo, or you can get this stem, and like I do, because I'm terrible at composting, I just dig a hole in the veggie garden and, and plonk it in there and cover it up and it nice. looks after itself, so, oh, um, glad you know, you don't have to... Glad <laughs> <laughs> that's the best way to do it. No, no, that, that's. I mean, you can you can always buy chicken poo. Um, if you don't have chooks, you yeah. can go to chicken farms, and they're only too willing to get rid of it because they've got a lot of it. Um, and uh, you can. Uh, it's very usable, and uh, I mean that's that's probably one of the secrets in a in a backyard veggie garden. If you go to anybody's house and you say, "Wow, what are you doing that's so different?" And it's like, "Well, I'm using see that big bag of chicken poo over there. That's what I'm using." Um, and and you can do a lot with it you can you can obviously put it on but you can um you can make a like a tea like a compost tea which is something which i do a lot of um and what that's really doing is, is it's making some nutrients soluble which is which is great but the main thing about it is it's breeding good bacteria and it's you're basically inoculating the soil with good bacteria rather than you know, there's some elements of chicken poo which are in a form that plants can use, but there's plenty that aren't, and the, these bacteria will convert that to a usable something which is usable by the plant. So, um, the bacteria are quite an amazing thing, and you can do that basically by brewing some, putting some chicken poo in some water. <laughs> Sorry, mate. I, I just got a vision of you actually drinking chicken poo tea. Then, so I was a bit distracted. No, no. Um, the other question I wanted to ask. Trust me. <laughs> we're, we're short on time. So. The other question I wanted to ask you just before we finish is just about, I guess, the fish. And I was, I'm really curious about sort of the symbiotic relationship yeah. between the, the farming of the fish and the growing of the veggies and how that all works together in terms of, I guess, you know, the fish fertilising the, the plants and all that sort of stuff. Can you talk just briefly about that? Sure, easy. Um, that's exactly the same process. So, um, uh, just we'll just we'll, we'll call it fish waste. So, fish waste is, is obviously their poo. Um, it's also they excrete ammonia via the gill. Um, so, everybody knows that if you have fish in a pond and you don't filter that water, they'll uh, the, the the environment they create with their waste is toxic and they'll end up dying because it's it's now toxic water, it's full of fish waste. Um, so what we obviously need to filter that. Um, fish poo alone really means nothing to a plant. There's, not, there's, there's nothing in it for a plant. It, it sounds like it makes sense because everyone buys off-the-shelf products which have fish in them and I think fish must mean good for plants but really there's not much in it. However, um, these these systems, these aquaponic systems, don't have any soil, so they've got like a gravel or a rock or an expanded clay, and you, the, the roots of the plants are growing in this uh, environment of rock, 
no soil and the bacteria which lives on this rock is converting your toxic fish poo to a usable plant food so the, the fish poos in the water yeah so so basically by the plants taking out this the end result you are con you are you are removing ammonia which is toxic to fish and that's basically their poo you're removing ammonia from the system by turning it into a plant food which the plants take out of the system so it's a totally recirculating system um, they're very very natural systems that's pretty much how lakes uh, and streams and that's how they work in nature we're just replicating that um, Obviously, we're pushing it to the limits because we're stocking the, the area we've got with as much fish as we can. And um, But we're growing a lot of plants. And like I said, it, it all comes down to the bacteria. So the bacteria there, which takes some time to colonise uh, the, the filter system. So when you, when you start one of these things, it's a very sterile environment. There's not much fish poo. There's no bacteria. Your fish are unhappy. Your plants are unhappy. But as the uh, bacteria grow and colonize and, and, and start to perform a role, um, then you get to the situation with, where all the waste is removed from the system because it's all being converted into plant food. With There's so many plants which are thriving and they're hungry um, and they're veggies because that's where they are hungry. Hmm. They're, they're removing that from the system because um, they're extracting that from the water. So um, really, once you've got that set up, um, you literally don't need to do it. You don't clean it. Cleaning is a bad thing. Remember, remember, we want to get away from that hygienic way of thinking. And, mm. and people with an aquarium have that sterile situation. Aquaculture, traditional aquaculture is sterile. A lot of water goes in, it gets waste, and then you do a water change. So you take the water out and you replace it. And you do. people with aquariums will know that. Um, you know, they, they, they regularly do a water change. However, in these systems, doing that will be a bad thing because you're, you're going to upset the, the, the bacteria, which you don't want to do. So you want to, you want to keep feeding. You want to give it waste because the more waste you give it, the better it grows, the stronger it gets, the more it gets, and the better able it is to handle as much as you throw at it. So it keeps the water clean, the fish are happy, giving heaps of plant, food to the plants, they're happy, and um, you get to eat your fish and eat your plants at the, at the end result. Ah. Oh. That's so cool. We've we've run out of time for today, but I know we have so many more questions for you. I I'm just no fascinated. I really hope that the people listening today just got a lot of ideas about what they can do in their own backyards for like the ultimate in sustainability. Mm -hmm. And um, I know not all of our listeners are in Perth. In fact, most of our listeners aren't in Perth. If you are in Perth, definitely check out suburbanfarmer.com.au. Mike, the website is awesome. If you're not in Perth, still look, right, still look it up because <laughs> it's so yeah. cool. And I know, you know, a lot of our listeners are overseas as well in Canada. And I, and if you look at Mike's website, you can kind of see how it, it would still fit in that sort of environment. Obviously, um, maybe not all throughout the winter, <laughs> but it's just so cool and so inspiring. Mike, thank you for doing something like that in the community. I think it's absolutely wonderful. Yeah, sure. No worries. Thanks for having me on. Oh, you're welcome. So until next week, check us out on Facebook, share your story, and help to grow the Paleo Tribe worldwide. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives.
Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.